0: the region's premier medical information program. Call the doctor. Stomach cancer, or gastric cancer, is not one of the more commonly diagnosed cancers, according to oncologists. But because it doesn't always cause symptoms in its early stages, cancer of the stomach is sometimes caught late. We wanted to gather the best information for you about risk factors, which symptoms to take note of, and how different types of stomach cancer are found and treated all about stomach cancer in this episode of Call the Doctor. And welcome to this episode of Call the Doctor. I'm Julie Sidoni. Let's get right to tonight's panelists. I'm really happy that we have three great physicians who have joined us tonight. Dr. Ahmad Hanif, let's start with you. Thanks for being here.
1: very happy to be here. My name is Ahmad Hanif. I'm one of the medical oncologists at uh, Geisinger Wyoming Valley Medical Center. And I treat patients with various type of cancers at uh, Henry Cancer Center.
0: All right, great, thank you for being here, Dr. Oxenberg, Jacqueline
2: Oxenberg, nice to have you back. Thank you, thank you, um, it's great to be back. Um, I'm Jacqueline Oxenberg, I'm a surgical oncologist also at Geisinger Wyoming Valley, and I also treat a number of different types of cancers.
0: And Dr. Greenwald, thank you yes. for being here.
3: Thank you, uh, Dr. David Greenwald, I'm in private practice uh, with Dr. Bruce Sadman in Kingston, uh, medical oncologist, and we see all, all types of cancer.
0: Well, we welcome all of you. I would like to start by defining stomach cancer, although I understand that's kind of a strange thing to say. It it, it seems to me there are different types of stomach cancer. So I'd like to start out by knowing a little bit more about what those different types are. Do you want to start there, Dr. Hamid?
1: So yes, absolutely. So gastric cancer or stomach cancer, um, it can be divided into various types uh, based on the location or how it looks under the microscope. So based on the location, we know that the gastric cancer, the stomach cancer, and the cancer of the food pipe, the esophageal cancers, they kind of overlap in the middle. So when we talk about stomach cancers, we start off right at the junction of the the esophagus and the stomach, which we call gastroesophageal junction or GE junction. So the, the cancer over there is treated slightly differently than the cancer in the rest of the body. But the stomach has other parts of the body, the fundus, the main body, and the antrum and the pylorus. And the cancer can be divided into different types based on where it's coming from. But when the cancer is examined under the microscope, then we see different types. And by far, the most common type that we see is a type called adenocarcinoma, which is a cancer that uh, arises from the very inside lining of the stomach. Um, But there are other types of cancer that arise from the stomach as well, like lymphomas or sarcomas or gastrointestinal stromal tumors.
0: So, do they look different, Dr. Oxenberg? If you're looking for a type of stomach cancer, is can one be a tumor and one
2: is a different look? You know, in layman's terms, what what do you sometimes see? So, um, so adenocarcinoma can present in two two different ways. One is uh, the intestinal type can present as a mass inside of the stomach, but the intestinal type uh, can present. In the, in the wall of the stomach and sometimes we see that where the uh, lining of the stomach doesn't look normal um, and the stomach just doesn't distend or, you know, or open up like a balloon should when, when you eat. Um, some of the other types of cancers um, are, are not the same. Um, they do present in the wall but sometimes cause masses into the stomach as well.
0: Is it typical, Dr. Greenwald, that if you see stomach cancer, you might also find it elsewhere or, I mean, I know that stomach cancer is, is quite rare, but is, is it more likely to be found uh, with other issues elsewhere in the body? Can you tell me a little bit about how you typically well, see it?
3: Unfortunately, and you may not, this may not answer your question directly, but at least 50% of the time, it's advanced so that it's found in other organs it has spread from the stomach the most common area would be to the liver but it can spread to lymph nodes in the abdomen it can spread to the abdominal lining or the peritoneum it can spread to the ovary Uh, so fifty percent of the time it is spread at the time of diagnosis and half of the other people it will spread if it hasn't or you find it spread when you do the evaluation prior to definitive surgery.
0: More common that it started in the stomach and then spread, or the other way around?
3: More, well, it starts, stomach cancer by definition sure. starts in the stomach. But as I say, it's silent for months, if not years. And by the time patients develop symptoms, unfortunately, 50% of the time when you do the imaging, when you do the evaluation, you find it elsewhere. And then surgeons like Dr. Oxenberg, before they would consider surgery, might look in the abdomen just because they know it could be hiding there. And again, half of those people, another 25%, it's really spread outside the organ.
0: You kind of segued right into something we were gonna talk about anyway, which is symptoms. And the reason I wanna get into symptoms is because I think these particular symptoms Look and feel like a lot of other things, you know. It, so, could you? I guess we'll start here again. Um, what are some of the symptoms, and 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 do you see that they do they kind of look like many other illnesses? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, a common misconception is that the cancer is uh, is painful. It's most of the time it's not, and the symptoms could be very very nonspecific and very, um, you know. Um, non-severe, as I would say, for years before they start making an impact on your life. So symptoms could be something like heartburn or pain after, after eating or an upset stomach or bloating. Um, but then other things could be noticed as well, like some people gradually start losing weight or some people develop iron deficiency in their, in their blood work, and that's usually a sign that you know, something more sinister is going on than, than a, just a simpler reflux disease.
0: Is that partially why you think this is not diagnosed until very late? Because it's a stomach ache and heartburn and maybe people just work right through stomach ache and heartburn, Dr. Oxenberg.
2: Yeah, I I think um, these are not symptoms that change overnight. Um, These are symptoms where people just slowly are not eating as much, they're not tolerating as much. Uh, Depending on where the cancer is, sometimes the stomach actually narrows, and as you know, the rest of the stomach may actually distend and accommodate for those meals. Um, Yeah, so the symptoms are very vague, and and it often is picked up when it's too late because of that.
0: Are there certain conditions that someone might have where you would think, Hmm, I bet you I, I should monitor this person. I should watch this person. Well,
3: oh, go ahead. It's very common to have GI symptoms, whether it's reflux, ulcer disease. Once you get into the system with a gastroenterologist who might be treating you, they often look in the stomach. And so there are things that they find and then they keep a closer eye. There's something called a Barrett's esophagus mm-hmm. when you're changing the lining of the lower esophagus because of constant reflux over years and we know that that could be a precursor, that lining is more susceptible to developing a cancer. If someone has an ulcer and you do a biopsy and you find a bacteria called H. pylori, those people have a higher risk of developing a cancer sometime in the future. Not that everyone will, Mm -hmm. most won't, but at least those people need to be watched. They're at higher risk but I think the basic problem that you first mentioned is these are really common symptoms. I mean, we all get indigestion, we all take Tums, we all uh, have reflux, and so it's a tough call. When do you say you know, maybe something more serious is going on?
0: So I'm sure there's not one bullet point here, but is there a time, is there a range that you would give your patients, say, if these symptoms go on for X, you really should give us a call?
3: Well, sometimes your family doctor will prescribe a ulcer medication, a, a proton pump inhibitor or h2 inhibitor mm-hmm. and if after two or three weeks you're not really getting better, maybe that's the time to call and say maybe I need to have someone look in my stomach right uh,
0: What about? risk factors, not just conditions that you might see, but is there a lifestyle component or risk factors that
2: you also see as a connection here, Dr. Oxenberg? Yeah, so um, smoking is definitely one of them. Um, Obesity is um, a large part of why we're seeing a shift in the types of gastric cancers to the lower esophagus, upper upper stomach, Um, so overweight, obesity. We also know genetics is part of this too. Um, While most Patients that are di- or most people that are diagnosed with gastric cancer present later in life. Sometimes there are some genetic mutations that um, can predispose patients to develop that much earlier in life. Let's
0: talk about that for a a few minutes. The Mm -hmm. gastro, I'm sorry, genetic mutations. Mm -hmm. Is there a time when you would say, you know, earlier you said if someone has cancer young, stomach cancer young, what is young? What are you looking for in these genetic mutations?
2: You know, unfortunately I have to say sometimes we see patients in their 20s, 30s, early 40s with gastric cancer and those are patients um, that I would, I would definitely refer for genetic testing. Sometimes um, when they do the pathology and they look at um, the cancer themselves, they can actually determine um, if, if there's genetic alterations, I'll say, as well that may predispose people to having a, a genetic problem too. And in that case, you would want
0: them to speak with family members,
2: et cetera. Yeah.
0: Uh, we'll go back to the, the lifestyle risk factor type a question if you have anything to add there, Dr. Hanif. Um, you said smoking uh, and a couple of others. Anything else come to mind for you?
1: Yes, yeah, so I mean some of the risk factors are, are general. They are true for many different cancers, smoking being one of them, um, excessive alcohol drinking, um, less physical activity, um, being overweight. These are true for many different cancers, um, including the stomach cancer. And then the, um, the risk factors specific for the, for the stomach cancer would include infection, especially with the H. pylori bacterium, um, and eating more salted or preserved foods. Um, so th- those are the factors specifically for, ca- for gastric cancer, but smoking is probably responsible for more stomach cancers than, than these uh, factors in the present age. Is that right? Um, there, is, there has been a shift in the, in the risk factors in the last decade or so. So we are getting a little bit better at treating H. pylori infection, and you know people are eating less preserved foods and less salted foods. Uh, so we're seeing more and more of that cancer that uh, comes on without H. pylori or without uh, any history of uh, you know, eating too much preserved or salted foods. Um, so that, that's been a change in the, in the spectrum of the type of uh, gastric cancer in the, in the last couple of decades. Is there a screening for it? Uh, currently um, screening for an asymptomatic person, meaning a person who does not have any symptoms, is not recommended. But screening based on symptoms is decided by the primary care provider and the gastroenterologist based on how risky they feel the the overall symptomatology is.
0: Can you tell me about that screen? What is it?
1: So most of the time the screening test is um, a a test called endoscopy in which a camera is put down from the throat and you know they look inside the stomach and if there's anything suspicious then they take a biopsy. But for persistent symptoms, kind of what Dr. Greenwald alluded to, uh, somebody whose reflux is not getting resolved after treatment with uh, proton pump inhibitors or H2 blockers, um, other screening tests like uh, detecting, you know, trying to detect H. pylori in the stool or in the in the breath, that can also be employed.
3: That's. I see you nodding over there. Well, well, a couple things. One is people often not confused, but they put them on the same level, a colonoscopy and an upper endoscopy. I'd like the uh, audience to know that the upper endoscopy is really an easy procedure. There is no PrEP, which is really the downside of a colonoscopy, and with uh, conscious sedation, you don't even know that somebody's put a scope in your stomach, so it is a very simple procedure.
0: Is it safe to say you do them often?
3: As a patient, you, you can do it every week and not mind it. <laughs> Patients do not mind upper endoscopy, so I just want the, the public to know that.
2: No, that's, that's
0: People
3: fear colonoscopies primarily because of the PrEP, but there is no PrEP for the upper endoscopy. I think
0: people fear a lot of tests for various reasons. Do you think that more people should be tested for this cancer?
3: Well, it's easy for me to say that but it's controlled to to a certain extent by the insurance company and they have criteria. Uh, Things have really changed though. There was a time probably up to about 1930 or 40 when (coughs) stomach cancer was the number one cancer, number one cause of death in this country. And then, it was in all the early textbooks, the incidence of stomach cancer, which is really the older, diffuse type, the linitis plastic, a stiff stomach. The incidence of that start going down every decade. And then, unfortunately, somewhere in about 1970, the cancer at the GE junction uh, started to increase. So most of what we see today is really cancer of the lower esophagus or the GE junction or to the very proximal, the early part of the stomach. And and that's different. The symptoms are different. Usually it's a swallowing problem. Things get stuck. Uh, And so the, the whole picture has changed. We just fortunately don't see a lot of stomach cancer
0: i learned from all of you that it is the highest cancer deaths in certain other countries japan korea i didn't realize the incidence was so oh, yes. high there why is that i mean not that i expect you to know that <laughs> why why is, why well, is this, what's the thought there
3: when when those populations come to america their incidence of that disease falls and becomes like us so it has something to do with their lifestyle in those countries, I know that uh, at one time there was an association with the liver fluke, uh, Clonor- Clonorchis. Uh, their eating habits are different. Uh, they eat a lot of, you know, uncooked fish and so forth. It could be a number of things. Yeah, I would not want to stop eating sushi, but, right. but it could be a lot of those things. <laughs> but it's very high. They actually do screening in those countries because it's so high. Mm.
0: You were going to say something, Dr.
2: Exeter? I was just going to say I think the liver fluke is the uh, carcinoma, yeah. which is still... But it was at
3: one time But yeah. too.
2: Let's yeah.
0: talk a little bit about uh, surgery and treatment you know this kind of getting it for the ball into your court here what a, a patient comes to you with this now what uh, are there different types of
2: treatments and surgeries what's your rule so um, so when I talk to patients um, I, I break it up into three different groups uh, when it comes to stomach and I'll even talk a little bit about lower esophageal cancer too. Um, There's one uh, group of patients which they're very fortunate it's a very early stage. Sometimes if it's a very, very early stage, our gastroenterologist can actually remove that. Um, But if it's in a very early stage and there's not uh, not much risk of spreading, um, I'll send them for a special scope with an ultrasound to see how far it is into the wall of the stomach. And if it's not high risk for spreading, sometimes they can go straight to surgery unfortunately the majority of patients fall into the second or third category the second category is um, is where there is a risk of spread and that risk of spread um, is determined by the cat scan uh, if there's lymph nodes involved determined by that scope Mm -hmm. Um, and if there is that risk of spread that's when we're talking about um, doing what's called a laparoscopy just a couple small incisions looking inside the belly making sure that there's really nothing spread um, and then doing multimodality therapy, where we know that um, Dr. Hanif and Dr. Greenwald um, give the patients chemotherapy first, uh, followed by surgery, followed by chemotherapy, and that actually greatly impacts the survival. Unfortunately, patients that have spread to other places, in general, um, liver, lungs, places like that, typically are not surgical candidates. You had mentioned Dr. Greenwald
0: that that this is sort of, I think the joke was, it's this is a team sport here, that there, there might be a lot of treatment steps if someone is treating gastric yes. cancer. Do you wanna talk about those, or
3: maybe well, Dr. Oxenberg just brought is, it up? Yeah, Dr. Oxenberg, as she, as she just mentioned to us, you, you need to evaluate the patient initially uh, with, usually they get a CAT scan, they get an endoscopy, and then they get the endoscopic ultrasound, which can tell you how, deep it penetrates into the wall. Uh, the endoscopist can see and uh, observe and even biopsy lymph nodes next to the stomach. They can often biopsy suspicious lesions in the left lobe of the liver. And so you get a lot of information. And then as as a group, you decide whether the patient, one, if it's a very early one, go right to surgery. If it's, uh, more locally advanced, probably explore to make sure that it's a surgical. And at that time decide whether you need pre-op, radiation and chemotherapy, and then surgery afterwards. So everybody is different. They don't all show up with the same stage and the same type.
0: That's something Dr. Hanif mentioned actually a little bit earlier, that this is a very individual type cancer.
1: It is. Um, just like uh, Dr. Oxenberg and um, Dr. Greenwald were, uh, were saying, that it, it depends on where the tumor is coming from and what's the stage. And staging is probably the most important decision in developing a treatment plan for, for stomach cancer. The cancers that are closer to the esophageal junction, they are mostly treated with the incorporation of radiation. But the, but the cancer that is strictly within the, the body of the, of the, uh, of the stomach we often do not utilize radiation for that, and we just utilize chemotherapy, um, followed by surgery, followed by some more chemotherapy. So it really depends on person to person. Obviously, if the cancer is outside of the stomach, um, then you know, they, um, you know, surgery or radiation have very limited role in that situation
0: this might be kind of a strange question but you know if I you break your arm you you go and get your arm taken care of and you don't really have to worry you have another another arm and everything continues to work when it's your stomach you're talking about you still have to eat and drink and you still have to function normally I wonder how that plays into treatment where you're now treating something that your body very much needs all day long. Mm-hmm. I, can you can you shed a little light on that for me? I
3: think that's in Dr. <laughs> Oxenberg's. <laughs>
2: that's the replumbing that I have to <laughs> the do. Re-plumbing. <laughs> yeah. The like replumbing. I like that. Um, yeah. There's, uh, you know, depending on whether, where the cancer is, uh, depends on what needs to be taken out. But believe it or not, the stomach, while it's nothing is as adequate as the stomach, the stomach is replaceable. Um, we reroute small bowel up to it if it's um, if it's in the lower esophagus. We actually save some of the stomach um, and attach that to you know to um, make a new esophagus. Um, so it's yes, you need it, um, but you know with a little bit of plumbing, we can fix that. Sheer curiosity here: Do
0: you make that decision once you are there at the OR, or do you know going
2: in? what the case might be? Almost all the time we know what the case may be, but there are some times where unfortunately, um, especially in some of the diffuse types of cancers where um, we do have concerns in the operating room, whether it's one of the margins that we took out um, and pathology looked at it or what it may look like, sometimes our plan may change. So a lot of it is going in and making sure that we do have all the work up beforehand and we know where the tumor is, but sometimes things do change if the margins are concerning.
0: Somebody out there watching this just wants a little more information on this topic. What's the, what's the one message that you might really want to leave people with, or uh, if somebody's watching, what do you want them to know most specifically?
1: So there has been tremendous improvement in all kinds of cancer in the last decade, but especially the stomach cancer. There are newer treatments available, but those treatments might not be appropriate for everyone. We decide the proper treatment based on um, the, per- the person's functional status, their general health conditions, and most importantly, what kind of proteins are present on the surface of those cells, what kind of mutations are present in the DNA of the cancer cells. And based on that, you know we select the appropriate treatment. So um, I encourage everyone to do their research, but then bring the questions to their oncologist or their treating physician and then discuss uh, you know what treatment option is the best for them.
2: What about you, Dr. Oxenberg? I Just think, um, you know, don't ignore your symptoms, but not every symptom is cancer. Um, And I think that's probably, you know, while um, gastric or stomach cancer is scary, um, you know, it's rare. Um, There are people that are at risk. We talked about genetic mutations, we talked about family history, but but paying attention to your symptoms and knowing what your risk is, I think is probably the most important thing.
0: But the vast majority of people Watching this will probably not have to worry about this particular topic. Vast majority, anyway. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Dr. Greenwald?
3: The vast majority doesn't have to worry, but if you feel you have something different, an inkling, start to lose weight, uh, just don't hesitate. Uh, again, the endoscopy is an easy procedure, and uh, don't be fearful. Just get it done.
0: Mm-hmm. Going forward, since it's not something that is typically screened for in a, in a normal doctor's appointment, is there yeah. a, um, uh, are there questions that you would give to people to just talk to their regular doctor? Or is there a, a plan of attack or something that people should at least talk about with their doctor to determine whether they are at a high risk?
1: So if we know that if you have a family member with affected, uh, who is affected by stomach cancer, then that's a risk factor. Sometimes there are syndromes that affect many different cancers. Uh, for example, cancer of the stomach, the esophagus, the, the colon, the pancreas, they all come in, in as parts of certain syndromes. So if you have a strong family history of cancers in your family, do talk to your doctor about it because you might be a candidate for genetic testing. And if a mutation is identified that, uh, that does run through the family, that might warrant screening, screening endoscopies um, to detect cancer before it spreads or before it, uh, you know, turns into anything um, significant. Um, a general rule of a thumb is uh, whatever symptoms you might have, if they're not improving with treatment or if they're going worse with time, then that's that's a sign of concern.
0: Is it that? Is it that it's not just stomach cancer then, necessarily, we're talking about here, but cancer overall? In other words, it seems like a lot. some of the risk factors are the same for much of them. Other than the location being in the stomach, is there any real difference?
3: No, except having done this for many years, it's, I'm always shocked how people let obvious things go for so long. People just don't lose 10 pounds, they lose 40 or 50 pounds. They just don't have a mild back pain, but they can't get out of bed. Uh, And it goes over months, and I don't know if it's fear, uh, and it could be. uh, But too many people want to put their heads in the sand and and not deal with things because they have a high index of suspicion themselves. They think that it could be, and then they, they let it go until it's too late.
0: I used to be one of those people till I started interviewing doctors. <laughs> I was the one who did not do any of this. <laughs> Dr. Oxenberg, what about you? Uh, um, a final thought that you really want people to know?
2: I, I think sometimes people. I feel like sometimes people put their head in the sand because they're afraid of knowing, but they're also afraid of the treatment or what, yeah. what uh, you know what we have to offer. But um, you know, gastric cancer is, is one of those types of cancers. Um, you know, there is some quality of life modifications, but if we can catch it early, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's treatable. And, um, and I, I do wish people wouldn't put their head in the sand, um, you know, okay, w- would see somebody, you know, after they lost 30 or 40 pounds. Um, I wish they came 5, 10 pounds. Thank you to all
0: of you. It's been a great (laughs) conversation. I appreciate all of you, you. and I appreciate you for watching. That's going to do it for this episode of Call the Doctor. We'll see you next time.